Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Netta Madoff, who is the co-founder and CEO of Vault Platform. Vault is a reporting and resolution platform, which is intended to be a safe space to report any form of misconduct in the workplace, including harassment, bullying, discrimination, and racism, as well as fraud and corruption. The system also includes a designated case management system to enable ethics and compliance teams to manage investigations. Netta's story is really interesting. She became interested in the reporting of workplace allegations out of her own personal experience. After college, she had a dream job, which she eventually left because she was a victim of sexual harassment. A few months later, she found out that another person had the same experience with the same harasser, and it always stuck in her mind. When the allegations came out against Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement started, she thought about what happened to her and whether or not there'd be a better way to report incidents, and that eventually turned into Vault Platform. In a time where we're relooking at race discrimination and other systemic concerns, it's a particularly relevant time to talk about this. So we are so pleased that you are here. So as we get started, can you just talk a little bit about your journey from your first role in Israel to starting Vault? Sure thing. Um, And first and foremost, let me thank you, Lisa, for uh, inviting me onto your podcast. I wanted to be um, on the Women in Compliance podcast since I realized uh, I am myself a woman in compliance. So uh, really appreciate uh, uh, being here uh, today. Um, so yeah, to talk about uh, my journey from uh, that first experience in my first ever job out of university uh, to uh, founding my own company that deals with uh, Speak Up and, and better Speak Up for the workplace. Um as, as you've said, I, uh, I had um, the dubious pleasure of uh, uh, experiencing sexual harassment firsthand um, in my first ever job uh, out of university. And at the time, I didn't even consider reporting it. Yes, the organization had the traditional hotline in place, and I could have knocked on HR's door. But it was very clear to me at the age of 22 that I am not going to do that. It was much easier for me to leave. Um, and my life actually took on a, on a very different course. Um, starting that um, uh, moment, I found myself in the UK uh, uh, studying for a master's degree uh, and been living in the UK since. Um, and I ended up having this really incredible career that I'm grateful for in the British government. I worked on climate change issues. So uh, you could see a bit of a theme coming up here where I'm, I'm attracted to difficult, hairy problems. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I love being on the, on the solution side. Um, and uh, and I, I got the, 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 the biggest honor um, was the opportunity to uh, sit on the negotiation team for the UK and the EU uh, in, the, in the climate talks um, uh, during the, the Paris, uh, uh, when the time, the time the Paris Climate Agreement was signed. Um, and um, I never even dreamed of becoming an entrepreneur, but when the Weinstein story broke, and we've just heard about this new movement called Me Too, um, m- my experience from, from, all this, from all these years back uh, came back to um, 
um, came back uh, to kind of haunt me in a way. And, um, and I thought about what, what it would have taken for me to come forward and report at the time. And I found myself really obsessing about the problem. So yes, of course, there was the obvious problem of uh, the fact that it was uh, revealed how, um, how, you know, re- the, the depth and breadth of the, of the sexual harassment problem in the workplace was, was revealed during those days. But what was more interesting to me was the underlying problem of lack of trust in the workplace and the fact that misconduct at large is not reported internally. So I started looking into into the data behind it, and I started researching the subject quite heavily, and I found that um, 75% of all misconduct gets unreported. Only 11% of reporting uh, is happening through the hotline and the associated web form. So the system um, is is clearly not working in its best, neither for employees nor for uh, the companies in which they they work. So I went on to establish Vault, which was born with a mission of lowering the reporting barriers and infusing trust into the workplace by enabling innovative technology. And above all, uh, what we wanted to do is to become the most employee-centric reporting solution out there because we realized that the journey really must start with, with the employees. Really, it must start with more speak up and, and, and more psychological safety. Um, and over time, we learned about other pain points that compliance and HR professionals have beyond uncovered misconduct. So that's, you know, that's the, the, the biggest one we solve, but we learned that there are other issues as well, such as outdated systems to support investigations, such as teams like HR, legal, compliance, working in silos, and many other issues that we decided to solve with an end-to-end platform for essentially for all forms of misconduct or anything and everything that is difficult to report. Um, And this, of course, includes financial and corporate misconduct, as well as what we call um, behavioral or interpersonal. And this platform serves both the employee through an app. Um, and as you mentioned, um, with the case management, um, it serves the case management team through, the, through the, what we call the resolution hub. Um, and so today we're in our third year into this journey uh, of introducing the next generation speak up solutions uh, to the modern workplace. And we've partnered with phenomenal and progressive companies that are taking the lead and go beyond compliance, really, to create safe, healthy uh, workplaces. And it's uh, been the good- I was just going to ask a question about that as you're yeah. talking about that. Sorry, is that when, you, when you're talking about that, what do you think that helps you report those issues? Um, what helps us to report those? Well, I so. Let me just put it this way, because you'll hear me talking a lot about the role of technology d- mm-hmm. during this call, but I don't believe technology in its own right can create a safer space and, and, and enable more speak up. I think it's means to an end. I think it's a very important means to an end that should be, um, that should be looked at, um, so it should be seriously looked at, but um, it comes with an intention um, from, you know, that is set by leadership to lower the barriers to reporting and to send a very, very strong message to employees that this is an ethical organization 
and they expect employees to speak up, not just by publishing a code of conduct and bearing it in the internet somewhere, but by actually equipping their people with the the the, the most forward thinking best in class options uh, tools solutions to come forward and report so i I believe it starts with that message that is then kind of underpinned by action and um, and we've seen we've definitely we're definitely seeing a growing number of organizations putting the two and two together and um, and and seeking for um, for better options and it's been you know it's been a real great honor for us to build a company that is seen as a trusted partner to other companies on this very particular incredibly important journey that a growing number of businesses is is taking today yeah. um, um, so yeah um, and I'm happy to kind of you know dive in big bit deeper into what it means setting the intention um, and it's you know and for us it's really to an, about enabling better speak up means that you're not just ticking a compliance box, right? A recent book came out uh, recently by Rob Chestnut. Um, he is the former general counsel and uh, uh, chief ethics officer at Airbnb. It's called um, Intentional Intentional Integrity. Um, Rob, by the way, is one of those um, incredibly progressive leaders that I look up to in the space, and he was a pleasure to to work with um, um, when he was at Airbnb. Um, I love the idea of intentional integrity, the idea that you need to be intentional um, about your company's ethics. Um, and we translated that concept into the speak-up world. Uh, for us, it means being intentional about the employee experience when reporting something difficult to their employer. What do people need in order to come forward in greater numbers is psychological safety. And there are different ways to enable that psychological safety. At Vault, we do it with technology. Um, since our app provides for safe space to take record of any misconduct events, um, a timestamped record, and new reporting possibilities that weren't available before for coming forward. Okay, wow. And so, I mean, you talk a lot about the safe space and um, how do you help find that safe space? I know you've mentioned the time stamping and also the, you know, taking the records in that way. You know, are there any other parts of the technology that help in your mind for the finding the safe space? Sure. Um, so we really wanted to not only digitize the way speakup happens, which, I mean, let's basically say, you know, this better than I do. It needs, it needs some digitizing. Um, so it's not just about, putting an app to it. It's about thinking how technology can create new opportunities, new avenues for speak up. So we took the old ways of doing things, which are the, the, the two ways that are kind of known to man, I guess, are anonymous and non-anonymous, right? Um, we've innovated on those. For example, um, we enable even anonymous employer, anonymous reporters to have a two-way communication through a chat with their employer, with the case manager, right? So that if additional information needs to be asked or um, or any um, or, or any other messages need to be exchanged, it can happen immediately, even if the par- person decided to come forward anonymously. So it still enables a continuous conversation. But where I think kind of, you know, what I know our clients are particularly um, intrigued by um, 
And the reason many of them are coming to us is because of go together. So the third way of reporting that we came up with is go together, which means you can only submit your record if you're not the first or only person to come forward um, about that particular person. And we've learned that from, uh, from the Me Too movement, because even the words Me Too, what do they tell you? They tell you you're not alone, right? And that's empowering. Yeah message. Um, so we've done, we've replicated that with technology that connects the dots on any repeated patterns of harm and enabling people, allowing people to come forward based on the condition that they're not alone um, without, of course, knowing how many other people are involved or what's their stories. It's, it's, there's complete data segregation, but it enables you to come forward under that condition. Um, and, and, and our technology on the back end will um, will connect the dots. And what we found, which might be really interesting to, you know, to kind of to females, uh, to female listeners um, uh, of yours is the fact that women, employees and women in particular are up to eight times more likely to report with GoTogether than any other way. Okay, well, that's great. Let's talk a little bit now about couple of different, you know, imp- newsworthy things that have, you know, yeah. happened in the last couple of um, What have you seen? Let's just start with Me Too. What have you seen in terms of trends for Me Too allegations generally um, and other sexual harassment ones? For sure. So I think the biggest trend, um, if we're not going to kind of, I mean, uh, I mean, it's obvious that kind of sexual harassment became, you know, at the time, um, um, a, a big area of concern and worry and it opened. And I think it really rewrote, um, a chapter um, in in women's in women's rights and um, and advance women in the workplace uh, in without doubt um, because because when you shed a light at, at something and, and you kind of you force business leaders to take it seriously um, you you see changes on the on the ground and that's exactly what we've seen but I think that the biggest thing it taught us is that there is a there is a big break of trust. Um, that is that is leading to increased employee activism, to workplace activism in, in a way. Um, and we see it in the forms of walkouts, such as kind of, you know, employee walkouts from, um, we, we saw it in Google, we saw it in so many, many other companies. Um, but we also see it when employees turn to social media with their grievance since they lost faith in the more traditional internal company avenues. You know, last year, Sky News published a survey of hundreds of board members that revealed that 95% of companies, 95% of companies expect a rise in employees turning to social media to raise concerns or complaints about workplace misconduct. And that activism is expected to cost them 25% of global revenue. So something is broken and that something needs fixing. The Me Too movement in my view, highlighted it in a, in a really big way. Um, and it also opened the eyes of leaders to the fact that change is, is needed. They cannot just continue with the same, same old, same old um, that they used to do in terms of the options they give their employees for speak up. Um, in the context of Me Too, as, as I said kind of earlier, we also understood that being part of an affected group um, or a victim of a pattern is a terrible thing, but also a very empowering thing. So it made us think about how we harness technology in order to make it an empowering thing, right? And, um, and help people um, and, and help to kind of create that safety uh, in numbers. Yeah. 
And I, I mean, I think that's really a great point. And then, well, I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. But one other comment right now related to something I don't think we anticipated, at least I certainly didn't during the Me Too time, is COVID. Yeah. We now have had a, a sort of an unexpected change in the workplace, the workplace um, environment in a way which, well, we always have talked about in the ethics and compliance field, the importance of protecting, you know, reporters and confidentiality. But now at a time where you've got people that with the layoffs related to this, people constantly working from home, um, you know, concerns about job loss. What are you seeing about COVID that's out there that, that you may have found unique, surprising, not surprising, not much? So. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, we saw four trends happening almost kind of consecutively, right? Um, so it started the, in the first couple of weeks in March, um, what we know um, by clients, you know, c- kind of sharing with us what they see from using our system um, is that there's been a rise in uh, it's it's really it's really ugly and sad, but there's been uh, a specific rise in discrimination against people of Asian heritage, um, and that that happened in the in the first few weeks um, uh, of COVID, um, and I can. I can say that uh, thankfully we see that trend now being in decline, but it has been the case in the beginning. Then a second trend that we're seeing, um, which I find it, you know, the the kind of the most, um, um, the most important one is the fact that, and I think you've alluded to this just now, Lisa, is the fact that when you add job insecurity, so take the number I was talking about, 75% of people who experience misconduct in the workplace do not come forward to their employer, right? Do not report. Now, if you add job insecurity to that trend, um, what you end up with is even less of an appetite uh, or willingness to share and to report misconduct. So, um, what we what we are we are seeing, without doubt, is rise in anonymous um, in anonymous reporting. People are just um, are are just far less willing to do that in name. So it's really important to enable a very you know um, a clear communication channel that is also anonymous, and the ability to follow up with the employee, because for many of them, that would be the only way that they would come forward and alert the company about misconduct. But also, if you want to kind of hear about an interesting trend that we've seen. So as I mentioned, um, our app enables anonymous chat, right? You can chat with your case manager within your company um, um, whilst maintaining your anonymity. And, uh, (laughs) And what we're seeing is employees utilizing that chat to ask questions, not even raise misconduct issue, but, but to ask questions about, say, maternity or paternity leave. Um, and they're doing that through the anonymous channel because they don't want to identify themselves in, at a time that people are losing their jobs, you know, left, right, and center. So it became um, just a, a very welcome channel by companies to enable that communication for a big proportion of their employees that is just scared uh, to, to, to even ask, you know, basic questions about what's the company's policy on, um, on family planning, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's an interesting trend on its own right, in, in my view. Um, and one to, to, 
to kind of take note of. Um, we've seen another issue with domestic abuse. Again, a super sad um, um, side effect of COVID is the fact that domestic abuse is on the rise, of course, for obvious reasons. And that's, you know, that has been reported globally. Um, and there's a really interesting discussion happening right now about the employees, sorry, the employer's responsibility um, for, you know, for the safety of their employees working from home, because we are being told to work from home, um, but not all homes are safe, right? Right. Uh, there's, there's this kind of interesting discussion that is happening right now. Um, and um, I can give you uh, a real example. I'm, 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 I'm actually even allowed to, to name that client, um, MNC Saatchi, uh, which is uh, a big uh, advertising agency um, um, headquartered here in London, um, is, is, is using our app uh, to also utilize domestic abuse reporting um, so to, to enable uh, that space because they want to, they want to know uh, if they need to intervene and help employees in any way. Um, and then the final trend that I would mention is and that's kind of obvious, and that goes across all the other three that I that I just just mentioned here. Mm-hmm. Is workplace cyberbullying. So, um, so harassment and bullying went went digital, right? It went online. Yeah, it's we're you know in a world that um, that minimized face to face interactions and in person interactions. Um, that has now all shifted. Um, to um, to the to the chat, uh, to the team collaboration tools, to emails, um, and to Zoom calls, and so that's what 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 compliance officers should take note of is the fact that almost every bullying or harassment case, such as any other misconduct case, um, has digital footprint these days, and it's really important to be able to capture that um, when employees are coming forward and reporting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these, yeah, this is, those all I think are trends that are very interesting at the present. And then you, one thing that is really important, particularly to Mary and I as part of this podcast, um, what we've added in is conversations and, and concerns about the Black Lives Matter movement. For me as an American, this is something that, you know, has become really resonant living in Washington, D.C. So I was wondering, you know, have you seen the increases in reports of race discrimination or, you know, racial issues as a result of BLM. Um, and I think similarly, like as you were talking earlier about Me Too, it allows, you know, that you're reporting and generally the idea of having people feel less alone with their concerns. So have you seen that coming out? Yes, and I absolutely agree with that um, with that uh, parallel that you drew there, Lisa, and I, I, I see the same. So similarly to the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter started as a social uprising, right? A social outcry that quickly penetrated the workplace and became a business issue. And I think there's an added pressure that came really quickly this time around. Um, it perhaps it took longer with me too, but you know, it, it, it definitely um, came about quicker this time. And that is that companies are required to act and not just talk. There's an expectation of action, right? Big statements of support won't do. Actually, if anything, um, I'm I'm not going to name this particular company here, but, uh, um, uh, but there, there have been examples. Um, there's been an example with a, a a well-known, um, uh, sports, um, 
um, sports brand, um, as a sports retailer, um, where uh, uh, employees were actually uh, holding uh, the company uh, accountable for the fact that there's huge discrepancy, as they saw it, between, you know, their their public statements and how they find empl- uh, the the employer is dealing with systemic racism uh, from within the company, and and so uh, if anything, big statements that are not backed by action will only do more harm and will go down less favorably um, by employees. So. Yeah. I think it's so, incredibly performative, those situations. And I think it is a fascinating part of it, that the idea that if you say, just say the right thing and don't, you know, do, do the work behind it. I think that Black Lives Matter, as you just said, really has shown that you can, you know, you can, you know, call that out very easily and very quickly. And not only do companies have to say the right thing, as you said, they have to actually figure out how to make systems work to encourage it. Exactly, exactly that. You know, the, the, the way to put it is that the only bias that has place in our world right now is, is, is to be action biased, right, against racism and how you're really thinking about your actions and how you make sure you go beyond words. Um, and also the fact that, again, just as you said, it's, it's, it's that you cannot just hand this problem over to one particular department in your company. For example, you cannot you know, just say, from now on, this is a talent issue. Um, here, here, you know, chief talent officer, get us to, you know, get us up to 30% more women or more people of color by next year, right? Um, this, is, this is a problem that requires, given it's so systemic, it's a problem that requires, um, it requires the entire leadership to come together and for, for everyone to own it. And what we're really seeing, and that's super encouraging um, to us at Vault, um, what we're seeing is a, a growing interest from compliance officers, um, from chief compliance officers, from chief risk officer, from um, the the from F, from the ethics departments that are taking interest in this and see this as something that falls under their remit. Whilst in the past they didn't, right? In the past. Um, they would, the way that they would portray it to us as we would, you know, speak with these companies is that we would say, okay, so our department deals with financial, you know, with, with whistleblowing and financial issues. Um, it's, it's our friends at employee relations or HR that deal with uh, subjects such as racism, discrimination, and bias. But no more. You really see a growing number of chief compliance officers that feel as much responsible for the company's culture um, as um, as as their you know colleague from uh, from from HR um, uh, and 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 from you know from other departments. So it's it becomes a it becomes a team effort. It becomes a leadership effort, um, and everyone have a, has a role to play as being kind of the guardians of culture of 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 a good healthy. Um, culture and of equality in the workplace, and I think that's, you know, the 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 net impact of both Me Too and Black Lives Matter on our workplace today um, is positive. It it goes through, um, you know, it, it requires a lot of pain to come out, and it is painful. It really is painful, and um, and I and I'm sure kind of you feel it firsthand living in DC. Um, it's it really is painful to 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 bring it all out to bring it to light. Um, the truth hurts, but 
it's a it's a turning point and it's it and and it's happening. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things that I just personally think about that, and I've said it before, is that even in the difficult and painful conversations, it's not for me as an ethics and compliance officer and somebody who cares about these issues, it's not nearly as uncomfortable for me to speak and learn about it as it is for the people who have been living through these issues. And I think that that is, you know, the, that, you know, being uncomfortable for a while is painful, but it's the right thing. And it's the only way that I think we're going to get better. And I think that what you say about the profession is very accurate is that we, I think the view of the, you know, there's in the past, there was a view of the department of no, or how do we just talk about the law? But now I think many of us, you know, I always call my work in ethics and compliance, regardless of people calling it compliance or something else. Cause I think that's so much of a part of helping a company do the right thing. There's a lot about that topic. Um, just, we could go for hours on that, but I think it's true and the other thing is with, with that in mind, you know, I'm sure you have, you know, coming into this from the unique perspective that you have and your viewpoints. And, you know, if you were to give any advice to these organizations today to talk about the speak up culture and with behaviors and leaders, you know, what advice would you give us as, you know, especially as somebody who's come into this industry with sort of a, a, a personal, you know, feeling about it and now has really grown to know what is, you know, going on. And as you said, as a woman now in compliance. Um, so it's a, that's a great question. I'll point out at four things, three, four, four things that, uh, I believe need to be done to achieve more integrity, more ethics, more compliance through a better speak up culture. So kind of one of, what of those, what are those four pillars of, um, of setting up your speak up culture for success? Um, the first one would be set the intention, right? We've already touched on that, uh, but the intention must be to actively lower the barriers to reporting. It must be that. It's the understanding that more reports is better for you as a company. Uh, a compliance officer's success is completely reliant on the ethical culture that employees are displaying and also on employee cooperation, right? I'm sure you would agree with that as yeah. a as the chief compliance officer yourself. So, and, 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 and I think um, it's really important to dwell on that point. Let's, you know, let's draw a parallel for a second to how doctors are being measured and evaluated, right? A doctor's success is not measured by a yardstick of um, no sickness or little sickness detected amongst the patients in, in her clinic, okay? It's measured by early detection of issues and the ability to treat them before they become acute. And in many ways, I feel like, you know, maybe it's kind of a, a maybe it's a bit of an odd equivalent here, but I feel there is a very clear parallel to the role of a chief compliance officer. Chief compli a successful chief compliance officer is not one that only saw um, a handful of complaints coming up uh, every year uh, through uh, th their hotline that tells them that according to the latest benchmark, they're doing so, so well because they're, you know, they, they, they have almost nothing revealed. That's not the, the, that's not the benchmark here. The benchmark is, um, to acknowledge that misconduct happens everywhere, everywhere. Every, every organization with human beings would have misconduct at, at, at some form or another, at some point or another. And it's the idea of, um, of uncovering, it's the idea of 
enabling people to surface it up and um, and to take care and to treat uh, these issues before they become tomorrow's headlines, tomorrow's lawsuit, tomorrow's frustrated employees that leave. Um, it, it's it's that notion. So set the intention would be kind of the um, the first the first pillar of a of a successful speak up culture. Um, the second one would be go beyond the checkbox. From you know from from our experience with these things. For years, speak-up solutions have been all about checking the compliance box, right? Um, and we need to go way above that very low threshold when it comes to speak-up. And that includes state of mind, but that also includes use of tools and advanced technologies, for sure. Going beyond um, that hotline and the compliance inbox, for example, or the open-door policy that is you know, published somewhere. That includes baking in speak-up into companies training, onboarding, offboarding, reminding people of the importance of that in in every, you know, in every single opportunity. Um, and there is actually a great opening for that right now uh, to get some buy-in from leadership because the Department of Justice have recently published um, guidelines, sorry, some guidance on compliance programs and how to uh, revisit the effectiveness of compliance uh, programs. And that gives a great business case to go beyond uh, the, 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 you know, box checked kind of state of mind and get, mm-hmm. and get your, get your leadership uh, to be bought in. The third pillar is remove the intermediary. And that is super important. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that trust can be outsourced and it shouldn't be outsourced. If you want to build rapport and you want to build trust internally, um, you need to own it. And the the way to own it is to remove as much as possible any third parties that are sitting between you and your employees and diluting the employee voice, right? The trust needs to happen very much um, between and directly between the teams that at the end of the day run the investigations, uh, doing the case management and directly with, with the employees. So it's thinking about those direct channels of communications that become, you know, even more um, challenging but important at a time that a large proportion of our workforce is, is distributed right now and working from home. And you don't have, you know, the even the ability of knocking on the door anymore, right? right. Or, or sitting down for coffee with someone. Um, so having that kind of personal relationship, remove the intermediary, you don't need them, own it, um, and build trust from the grounds up. So that that is that is kind of the third pillar, and then the fourth one uh, to you know to close a full circle here is drive for resolution. Um, we you know when we thought about how to call our case management system and when we created a case management system for investigations, we called it the um, the the resolution hub because we believe that cases need to be resolved, not managed. And there's a huge difference there, right? Um, and and at the end of the day, just like you and I discussed before this podcast, it's up for the it's up for the company. I mean, you cannot, you know, you cannot you you, you cannot drive um, uh, to resolution and have quick and, and and efficient investigations if that's not the intention of the company or the uh, or the people who are responsible for this area. But you definitely should think about how to um, equip them with all the tools to. To run in, to run these investigations to um, 
to re- to resolution. And we believe that cases um, need to be resolved and managed that compliance and ethics and employee relation teams are worthy of an advanced infrastructure that really supports them in driving to that resolution. Um, and I'll just share a research uh, by an expert uh, that was looking into an, um, reporting, an anonymous reporting called uh, James Dittert. He found that employers' failure to quickly drive for resolution increased employees' belief that speaking up was pointless by 30%. But if managers had closed the loop in the past, their report, their, their, their report then spoke about 19% um, um, of increase in reporting, even after accounting for any increase that naturally happens, simply because managers were perceived as uh, open and, and interested and willing to uh, make change. So the driving, resolution, driving to resolution um, creates the perception that speaking up is, is a worthwhile exercise. And, and it's really important to, to, send, to send that message loudly and clearly. Um, so yeah, that would be my, that would be my four points. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for spending the time with us. And actually, I also want to personally thank you as you, you know, you challenged the conversations we've had, have challenged my, my thoughts and the way that I'm trying to think about how to do things. So I really do appreciate, you know, your personal experience and what you're doing for the compliance um, community. And with that in mind, thank you. Uh, Thank you all for listening. And on behalf of Mary and I and the Compliance Podcast Network, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.